This is Undivorce Wittable, the podcast made to divorce-proof marriages. I'm Giovanna. And I'm Rance. And, and we, we are, are the, the Robinsons. Robinsons. We've been rocking together for 18 years, married for 15 years. People tell us all the time that we inspire them. We are relationship goals. And it's not because we're famous or we're fronting for social media, but because they can tell that what we have is genuine. There have been ups, crazy downs, and moments where it would have been easy to just walk away. This is a no BS podcast. We're keeping it a buck. And we're telling you all the truth you can handle about what it takes to stay together in today's world. We, we are, are Undivorced Wittable. Welcome back to another episode of Undivorced Wittable. It's your main man, Rance Rob. And Giovanna. And as you know, we are here talking about a continuation of our Jordan story. So um, this is our last dance, our last dance, meaning that um, there shall be no more children coming forth from these loins. No more. Not a one. And so um, we just want to talk to everyone because people in our general area, in our city, they know um, about our son, uh, you know, the things that we went through, his birth, his everything to get here. So for a lot of people, his story is miraculous. Um, and so we're sharing that with everyone in a three part series or maybe four, depending on how deep we want to go. Yes. So, you know, we left off last week where we were talking about, you know, I had given birth to Jordan and, um, you had met him by yourself and, and what that looked like. And so, once I wake up out of surgery and everything and I get to go down and see him and we talk to the doctors and everything, we're now faced with the challenges of what it means in giving birth to a micro preemie. So Jordan, of course, was born. He was one pound, four ounces. When he was born, he had a hole in his heart. Yep. He had um, bleeding on the back of his left cerebellum. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, they're like, we're going to take it day by day. There's challenges. He's on oxygen. He's hooked up to all these different machines. You know, they're monitoring his heart. They're monitoring, you know, his um, his breathing. Yes. The machines would go off every time his breathing would drop below 90. And it was just like you're always on pins and needles. You're you're looking at him one moment, and then the machines are going off, and you're seeing that his rates are going down, and you know, we there was just so much that it was just kind of like, okay, what are we in for? Yes. What is this going to look like? Journey. A long journey. So it's July when he's born. He was supposed to be born November 5th. And we know that he's at least going to most likely be in the hospital till then. So this is our new home. Yeah. This is our new home. There's meetings with doctors every day. They're telling us. Um, the most, they're telling us the most grim Yes, yes. They're uh, not details. sugarcoating anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're giving us a lot of grim details there. Um, they're looking at his weight and different things like that. And he's not even, at this point, he's not even drinking breast milk. They were just like, what were they giving him? Um, you know, I'm not sure. They were kind of giving him a small thing of nutrients to, you know, to get him going, to get his, his life pushing because... You know, at this point, he was still supposed to be feeding off you. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. So, 
you know, it's it's just so much to take in, so much to handle, not able to hold him um, right away and different things like that. And so we're just kind of like trying to get settled into this new normal, what's going on, um, the challenges we're facing, what what his life, you know, the 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 quality of life that he's going to face. And I mean, he couldn't even cry. Like that was yeah. one thing, like he was so small that there was no, no cry. Right. No, it, it was, was just... It was so much. With him being so young, like, that's the other thing. That hurt because we didn't know, you know, when your baby's in pain or uncomfortable or hungry or something, you're used to your baby crying. We didn't hear him cry for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And so there, that was the other thing with him being a preemie. They said that he might not be able to see. He might not be able to hear. Um, there are all these things and then not being able to hear his voice and hear him cry. You didn't really know if you were ever going to hear that. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the other thing with the, the bleeding on the brain was, um, the grim details of, you know, severe cerebral palsy. That's what they were telling us. We were looking at, um, they were also saying that, you know, his quality of life will be low. He won't be able to run. He won't be able to jump. He won't be able to ride a bike or play or anything. Right. Um, and it wasn't it wasn't like they were saying it in a way that it's possible. They're just basically saying this is what it is because of where and the size of the, the bleeding on his brain. Yes. And that's why, you know, I'm starting to get emotional thinking about this and just going back because when we see our son now and he's crying or even I think back to a video that you actually posted up on Facebook of him riding his bike and thinking about the fact that we were told he wasn't going to be able to do these things. And so this is why Jordan's story is so powerful and it's such a blessing. And it has been a blessing to so many people, not just our family, mm -hmm. but it has touched other people's lives because there were so many things that the doctor said he wasn't going to be able to do. Just talk and speak. And when you look at where he came from and the, and the, the pictures of how small he was and, 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 and how lifeless basically let's just say he how lifeless he looked at that time and to see him running and jumping and talking and mm -hmm. you know just how fast he moves even now it's like there is a point in time where they said that this wouldn't even be possible yep and like i, I remember one um moment and we're gonna delve deeper into the story um you know or or take it a different route but i just want to throw this in here one moment um our pastor came to see Jordan um, early in his birth. So we were still at a hospital called Mount Carmel East here in Columbus. And, um, you know, I don't think he was prepared for what he was going to see. And he was extremely troubled. Like you could just see how not ready he was for that. Mm -hmm. Like seeing him so small, so vulnerable, so, so little, um, so without skin, all those things, like it, it was incredible. You know, you could look at Jordan and literally see like the veins in his brain and all that. Like it was, right. it was, yeah, it, it was just, and, and it's one of those things where when I look at him now, I'm like, you know what? Talk all you want. Um, <laughs> you know, and sometimes I tell him, I said, boy, you sure do talk a lot, <laughs> but I'm never telling him to be quiet. Um, when he's talking, uh, when I come home from work, he wants to play. We run, we jump, we, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I don't deny him because I oftentimes think of and remember all the stuff that the doctor said he wouldn't be able to do. 
Exactly. So exactly. Jordan Jordan comes. We know like we're facing some things and all, and the doctors send you home. Yes. Yeah, so um, I, I got to stay a little longer because I had a cesarean. And because he was a preemie, they kind of just let us stay as long as the insurance would let us. Mm-hmm. And let me stay. And so then I come home. And I remember coming home on... It was July 21st because I remember it was our godson's birthday. Um, And so we we rolled by. I got to look at him and see him and, you know, just um, and everything. But I was feeling really tired. Of course, I was I had just given birth, had a cesarean and everything like that. So I was feeling tired and not really able to move like I wanted to. So go home, Mm -hmm. get settled in at home. And we're sleeping um, that night. And for whatever reason, Sharia, our daughter was not home with us. She was actually with, um, with my sister, my sister friend. And so I woke up in the middle of the night, it was about four in the morning and I had to use the bathroom and I, and I get up and I'm like, okay, one thing about the medicine and everything that you're on after birth, it does cause, and after giving birth and everything, it can cause you to be, um, um, constipated and backed up. And so that's the thing that they talk about. Like, we need you to have a bowel movement. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't had one. And so I get up and I go and I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm finally going to have a bowel movement. So I sit down, I go and sit down on the toilet and I'm sitting in there and I just feel so bound and backed up and I just feel so like heavy. Mm. And I'm trying to use the bathroom. It's the middle of the night. So Rez is knocked out sleep and I start feeling so cold. I just get cold. Now, I was pregnant and most pregnant, like any pregnant woman, you have an extra person in your body and you're hot all the time. And so I'm going from being hot and I was still hot even after giving birth. I go from being hot to like extremely cold because mm-hmm. we had the fans going and the stuff and everything. And so I finally get up and I was, I don't even know where I was going out of the room, but I was trying to go somewhere out of the room because the fan was on like high, maybe get some water or something downstairs. So I get up and Rance kind of like sees me and jumps up out of bed. Yep. And he says, "What? what's wrong? What do you need? What? And I said, I'm, I'm cold. I'm really cold. And I'm just trying to get, you know, something. Uh, oh, I was turning off the fan. That's what I was going to do. I was going right. to turn off the but fan. It was with a real struggle. Yeah, but I was struggling getting there. And I was like hunched over, could barely move, could barely walk. So he sets me on the bed, um, wraps me up in cover. We put on like three cashmere sweaters. Yeah. And I'm sitting on under and three cashmere sweaters under like two, three blankets. And I'm still shivering, shivering cold. cold. And so Rance was like, Giovanna, we got to get you to the hospital. You said you got to get me to. And I'm like, I'm not going. I'm thinking to myself, I'm not going back to that place. I'm thinking about the bill of, you know, because I think you were going to call the ambulance. So I'm thinking about the bill of an ambulance. I'm like, oh, my gosh, we're not and, about to do this. And the reason why, though, is because the, the shaking was so violent, like it wasn't. It wasn't like just shivering, like there was a, a violent shake. And so, you know, it was the type of shake, like, I don't know if, if you are listeners, if you have children already and your wife had an epidural um, and when she's coming off the epidural, the way that the body is shaking. Um, but, you know, there was, there was it was an extremely violent shake. It wasn't like just, oh, you're cold. And it just was not normal. And so Giovanna was really dead set on just trying to sleep it off. That's yeah. what she wanted to do. She wanted to just, you know, already been in the hospital, you know, just let me rest. Let me sleep it off. And I that just wasn't sitting well with me. 
that yeah. you just needed to sleep it off. So you were like, just call, you called the doctor. It's like, just call the doctor. So we called um, my gyno. We called the line, but then one of the other doctors picked up. And we thought that it was a result of me, like, I thought that I was constipated or something like that and having challenges from the birth. And she said it didn't sound like any of that. She was like, get her to the hospital. And you looked at me. You said I looked my skin yeah, color were, had changed. You were pale, really pale. So um, you said I looked about gray. Mm-hmm. Um, so Rance was like, okay, he's getting me to the hospital. So I remember us driving to the hospital, me just being cold, and we get in there and the only thing I remember is going to the desk, registering at the at the hospital, and then sitting down. Yeah. Next so, thing I know, I wake up, and my parents are standing there. But I don't know what happened between that. Right. So, um, yeah, we're going to the hospital. I got the heat on. Now, mind you, it's July, and it's hot. But the heat is on for Giovanna. So, um, sweating. She's 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 saying she's cold, but because of the cashmere and all that and being wrapped up in the cover, she's literally sweating. So we get her in the, the room. Um, I'm sorry, in the emergency room area. Then, you know, they do the paperwork, stuff like that. They call you back because there's not really a lot of people. Um, so you and I go back and they begin to take your vitals and, you know, the nurse that was taking your vitals and things like that. I mean, it wasn't five minutes in, and her whole face changed like she was she went from just, OK, this is routine to starting to call extra doctors. We need to open up a bed now. And so it was like super serious. And so your your vitals and everything like that had dropped. So and the reason why you were so cold um, basically is because your body was kind of fighting itself to the point where it was going to take you out. Right. And. You know, I did. So I had to, you know, call your parents and everything, let them know where we were, um, give the details. And when we ended up talking to the doctor and I told them that you had just kind of wanted to sleep this thing off. um, Basically, what they were saying is that you're septic. Like, so Mm -hmm. that's what the nurse said when she was she said, oh, my God, she's septic. Um, And so there wasn't much time. So they rushed you to the head of the line. Anybody else who was there, and I remember them saying that they didn't have many beds when we got there, but you know they had to rush you forward because you were um, suffering from sepsis. And had you had I allowed you to quote unquote sleep it off, you would have never woke up. Right, and so for those who may not know what septic means, um, if you go back to basically when we left Jersey and me saying that I'm open. And that the chance that we were actually taking on my life too from me being open, there is possible there's a possibility for infection. And so that's definitely what I had. Um septic is an infection basically in the bloodstream. Mm-hmm. And so by it being in your bloodstream, it can spread throughout your body really quickly. It can shut things down within your body um rather quickly and everything and definitely change um your your um, quality of life. There have been people who have passed away from being septic and someone actually, we don't know personally, but someone rather young um, 
recently has passed away from being septic and everything. So, and I remember looking at pictures and seeing a guy hooked up to all these tubes and every and different stuff like that and body was like really blown up from being septic and the infection and and how it takes a toll on the body. It can cause I think it could even cause you to lose limbs and stuff like that. So, this was a very serious matter. Um and it was it was very important and and it was it was good that Rance didn't listen to me <laughs> um because I wouldn't be here if he listened to me I would have been gone um this this podcast would be called uh widowable that's what it would be called <laughs> Wid- widowable right it exactly it would it would have been rough he would have been a single father with three children um but yeah so they get me into the hospital they're trying to bring my blood count levels back to normal because my blood count normal is like 10 or 11 mine were at you 40 it was high it was very it was it was yeah it was really high and so they had to bring it back down so they were getting medicine to me and different things like that even when i woke up i didn't even realize the seriousness of the situation I I thought because at first someone said that it was an infection. I was thinking like something like a very bad urinary tract infection or something along those lines. I don't know why I thought that. I feel like there someone may have said something along those lines. But um, yeah, so we woke up and I just remember seeing my parents and they're like, "Okay, we're gonna admit you." And I'm like, "Are you kidding me?" What's going through my mind is I have a child in the NICU. This is already stressful. I need to be everything I can to my son because my son needs me. There is no time for me being down. Um, So I remember it was a Sunday. They get me in and they put me into a hospital room with this older lady. Oh man. And it was just so, oh my gosh, it was so horrible. Like she was she was pretty much at the end of her life. And I'm sitting here like, okay, what does this mean for me? She had family coming in and out. It was ridiculous because I was basically put on a floor of people who are infectious. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, what in the world is going on? So this is now our new normal. I'm in the hospital. Our son, and thankfully, we were at we were still in the same hospital and everything like that. So I was able to just go down there and still be with him. But then I had to take extra precautions because I had an infection. So I couldn't just like hold him. All the milk and everything that I had at that point had to be, I think, thrown away. Yeah, they couldn't use it. Um, which was that was like anyone who's breastfed, you already know. Any little drop you get, you're thankful for. Your breast milk is priceless. And it's because you had so much medicine going through you. But you know what? Um, at first they were saying, like, we I couldn't give him my milk because of the infection. But then when they tested him, they realized that he had the same situation because he had came out of me. And so um, he was septic as well. They were treating him. So because of that... I eventually was able to give him my breast milk and everything, and he was fine. So we're suddenly into this new normal. I went into the hospital on a Sunday. Every day the doctor's coming. They're drawing my blood, seeing where my blood levels are. And every day he's like, you got to stay longer. You got to stay longer. And I remember mm-hmm. the doctor, it was it was my gyno that was coming to check on me. But then it was the other doctor, the infection doctor that was coming too. And so he asked me, it was maybe like that Tuesday or Wednesday. He was like, why do you want to get out of this hospital so long? Because I, I still hadn't really realized 
the magnitude of my situation. Right. Um, it and really, it didn't help that the uh, hospital room was totally, it sucked. It was dirty, smelly. It was, it was, yeah. it was ridiculous. Disgusting. So it was just kind of like what um he he said why do you want to get out of here so so quickly like you have a baby your baby's here in the hospital like you're here with your baby i don't understand and i said i have a husband and children at home like i had he didn't realize that i had my daughter at home as well and like she had already been through you know mommy's not gonna be here to now mommy's home to now mommy's not home like what in the world is going on and so when he realized that i had other children at home he was just kind of like Okay. And then he gave me a game plan like, I'll make a deal with you. Your blood levels are still over 20. I need them to come down below 20. I need you to do everything that you can, you know, to do to to make sure to keep the levels low. If you can get them below, he gave me a number. If you can get them to this number, then I'll let you go home. So I'm like, okay. I still didn't even go home till Saturday though. That's when I got discharged. Um so, of course, I'm still on all this medication and everything, but once I get discharged, I feel like now I can get back to focusing on our son in Jordan. But throughout our, our son in Jordan, our son, our, our son, Jordan. our children, basically, Jordan. <laughs> yes. And, but yes. the other, you know, some, some things that, you know, I want to fill in the story with too, though. Um, while it was, you know, the 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 doctor needing to ask why you wanted to get out so bad there weren't a lot of answers like we were getting there were long stretches of time where we were not getting any answers mm -hmm. and that's one very irritating thing about the process of being in a hospital a lot of times oftentimes you know you have different nurses people are saying various things and then you only hear from the doctor one time a day and sometimes it seemed like it was longer than one time per day you know we would go a couple of days with no new news right and you know i, I can't uh, say i'll attribute it to that hospital i'll attribute it to that hospital um that was one of the things that was just so violently irritating is that there is no control and one thing that i had to do on my own was realize i can't control this situation and there's nothing that i can do so in any of this Jordan's birth, um, the difficulty with the, Giovanna being in the hospital, me still holding the family down alone, being a single father for the most part while she gets well. Um, all of these things, still going to the NICU to see Jordan, stopping by the NICU and coming up and stopping by to see you in the hospital. Like it was so crazy. And then on top of that, not to be getting the answers that you want. Ooh. Right. It was enough to make me want to smack somebody. Yeah, because during that week, I mean, it's a lot in and of itself. <clears throat> you were, you were you off of work? You had just taken like a week or so off. Um, and it was just a lot going on because he's home. We're trying to keep life normal with Sharia. So I think she was actually going to a camp. And um, he was taking her to the camp that we had already, we had signed her up for this camp way before all this happened. And he's taking her there. He's getting to the hospital. You know, he's got to check in with the doctors, with Jordan, make sure he's there to meet them because they were pretty much coming like clockwork. Yep. Um, making sure he's with them to meet to meet with them to see what the new news they have, what the new game plan was from day to day, you know, what his stats and stuff were looking like from day to day. Then coming and checking with me, you mm -hmm. know, with that doctor, see what's going on. There was so much going on. And I, 
I I really just look back and I the stress that rants that you were dealing with was yep. a lot. It was like, you know, your son is barely barely made it here. We get through that. He's here, but now we have a lot of challenges with that. And then it's like you almost lose your wife. Mhm. And in the midst of this, I'm not telling everybody or broadcasting everything that I'm going through, but you know, I'm going through a lot and I um I don't know. It's, it's weird. I, I think about the fact that I, I guess I thank God that I'm as strong as I am. Um, if I had a codependency of any sort, you know, it, th- this would have just pushed me over the edge. Right. Or, you know, if I was on drugs, everything that I've gone through, I've gone through sober. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything from losing parents, you know, what I'm saying being in the streets doing I, I did it sober and being sober and going through, you feel everything. So I felt the weight in the ounce ounces of weight of everything you know of course i'm blessed my mother was still alive at this time of course your parents are very supportive um so there was there was a support system there but you know i am i'm still at work i'm talking to you on breaks um while i'm working i'm doing all these things mm-hmm. and juggling all this so that everything can stay afloat right um because i knew that jordan still was coming home so i didn't want to use fmla or anything like that um, and be off for weeks at a time until he came home. Cause I was, I was taking the whole 12 weeks. Like there was no way that, you know, so for three months I'm at the crib. Right. Me and, right. Me and Jordan, you know After what I'm all this is like, yes, taking all the time we can get. So. so, you know, but yeah, being at the hospital was stressful. Um, but then of course you come home. Yeah. So I do make it home. Um, and of course, even talking about the job thing, like I had taken extra time from work because my plan too was I only got six weeks, but my plan too was to wait till Jordan came home from the hospital to take my six weeks. So all this time, at this point, I'm not even just getting paid because it's like I'm in the hospital, I'm dealing with all this stuff. It's just so much going on, going on. But I do make it out. I'm healed, and God blessed me in that area, and I'm just so grateful um, for that. I'm grateful that um, I made it through and that I am healthy and alive today. Um, But then, you know, now that I'm home, we're back to focusing on just Jordan. And I remember it's about two weeks into his life and the doctor's like, they're still calling him Baby Robinson. And Mm -hmm. they're like, are we going to name this baby? And we just ran, so I just kind of look at each other like... We forgot, bro. (laughs) We forgot about this. We've been dealing with so much and going through so many different things. Yeah, he doesn't have a name. We we just want Cuz to be alive. Like, that's... Right. He could be Baby Robinson. We just want him to be alive. We just want him here. So, we're like, okay, what are we going to name our child? So, the names that were on the table, the only real name that was on the table was Ethan. Um, Ethan Stanley. Ethan Stanley. And we knew that we were going to name give him the middle name of Stanley because that was Rance's father's name. Right. Um, so we decided that we definitely, you know, we knew once we were having a boy, his name was going, his middle name was going to be Stanley. But um, Ethan just, I, it was okay, but it wasn't really like, I just couldn't, I couldn't grab onto it. And so we started looking at meanings. Our daughter threw into the, threw in the pot the name Jordan. So the Jordan River um, was really significant in, of course, scripture. Uh, Jesus was baptized in the Jordan. Um, of course, in the in the Bible, uh, they transposed J's. It was really called the Yarden River uh, because there is no no J's as we know in the Hebrew language. The life of of that that particular period, that area, 
and of course co corresponding with our faith, the Jordan River was very instrumental in a lot of things. So Jordan by name, what drew me to it was it meant to flow down mm -hmm. and to give life. Mm -hmm. um, that's that's the, the definition of the name that I saw. And I'm just like, yo, I love that yeah. to flow down because the Jordan River flowed down and, you know, so many things happened in the in the Jordan. I think um, what, what was it? Elijah and Elisha crossed mm -hmm. the Jordan. Yeah. Um, by basically opening up the waters, a la Moses. Um, there were so many things that corresponded with our faith and everything we were going through. And for the Jordan River to flow down, that meant that, you know, it gave life to trees, foliage, everything. It it, it was where the animals drank out of. Yeah. People got that water. That water was a healing water. Yes. Um, and so that was really <clears throat> what did it for me. I was like, yo, I'm going with Jordan. Right. Because our son needs a healing. He he needs this. Um, and he he has healed us because also in his life, he's shown us the miraculous hand of God and the power that God has within him. And we've seen it before our eyes. So we're like, this is what we're attaching him to. We believe that names have purposes and meanings, and this is what we're giving to our son. So every time we we felt from reading that and from understanding the name, we said every time we spoke his name, we were speaking life and we were speaking healing into him as well. Yep. So that was the significance of the name. So we give our daughter Sharia the kudos for naming him that. Yes. So you know, and Jordan um, Stanley. Yes, Jordan <laughs> Stanley, and then of course. Um, the Stanley basically means a stony rock and it's like a flint, really strong rock. And if that was anybody, that was my dad. That was, you know, he was, he was strong. He's six foot seven, you know, knock anybody out at any time type guy. And, um, I promise you, Jordan is all of the Stanley as much as he is a Jordan. <laughs> but, um, yes. the other thing that I would speak over Jordan was his ability to unify. People were going to love him and they're going to, they were going to gonna gravitate to him and they they were gonna um, and he was going to help so many and those are things that i would speak over his life and significance with his name so yep yep so we finally tell his doctor we have a name the next day and this is it and and the doctor i could tell he liked the name mm -hmm. he was an older um guy and he was he, he yeah i could tell that he was he, older he was foreign i think he might have been from the middle east area yes. so yeah. So he kind of like was like, ah, oh, okay. Um, so we name we name our son. He finally has a name attached to him and everything. And we're settling into our new normal at Mont Carmel. I'm going there every day, staying there for hours mm -hmm. and everything, doing his feedings and different things like that. When Rance would get off of work, he would come straight there and um, you know, be with Jordan. We were at actually at the point where we were able to kangaroo him at this time so kangaroo is when you take the baby and you the baby is just in their diaper and you put the baby on your bare chest mm -hmm. the significance and importance of kangaroo is the baby getting being up against your bare skin it helps them to feel the mother it provides healing in in the father is very healing for the father to do this as well yep. it provides healing for the baby it it provides that connection that human connection that helps to give 
screamies life that helps to build them up and strengthen them. Yep. So it's very important to kangaroo the baby as well as um, I remember a lot of times the nurses and everything, they would say, we can tell Jordan is very loved and you guys like to hold him because a lot of preemies have flat heads because they're always laying down in the in the bed and they mm-hmm. can't, they're not, you know, if you don't hold them enough, it doesn't give their head the time to actually to like round out, out yep. and everything. And so by us holding him a lot, he doesn't have that preemie head <laughs> that a lot of preemies yeah. have. He used to give him that, that flat head. So right. didn't want him out here looking like a screwdriver. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, we're, we're settling into this and then and we get used to Mount Carmel. And next thing you know, we get used to Mount Carmel. We get used to the nurses, the staff and everything. And we love them. They all love Jordan. And then they come in one day and they're like, you know what? We feel like he's going to be better off at children's. And Children's Hospital is on another side of town. It's not a side of town that we venture to a lot. Um, and I'm sitting here like, we're closer to this hospital. It's right. It's literally less than five minutes from our daughter's dance studio, which she is still attending dance and going to dance at this point. And I'm just like, what do you mean you're moving him? Like, we're, we've gotten adjusted to this hospital, the staff, everything. What are you saying? I'm not familiar with children. So I basically have a breakdown because I'm like, what the world? Right. And of course, I'm at work when this is when they decide to do this. Um, you're not happy, but I'm not happy either. But I do come to understand that, you know, Jordan, it was a long haul. And the Mount Carmel East NICU was small. And so they're always needing beds. And this is what someone at um, Nationwide Children's Hospital kind of explained. One reason they were moving him as well is because they needed space. Mm-hmm. They couldn't house him for as long as he needed to be in the hospital. Right. And um, as comfortable as we were, and when I say comfortable, I mean everything from the the vibe and the environment, like the ambiance. You know, it went you know really dark and and nice and comfortable. And then we go to this super bright hospital with. A lot of nurses, it's a lot of movement, it's a lot of noise, it's a lot of everything. Right, exactly. And it was just it was just different. It was just different. And I mean, I think even trying to walk up to where he was from the parking area that we had to go through was like a mile. Yeah, it took a while. All the all the different stuff. Like at the Mount Carmel, we were able to just like go into the hospital and like just go in there. We were in there and like five minutes yeah this one we got to go into a parking garage we got to go to another floor we got to check in every single time and they're really secure and you know they care about security on a different level right because of course this is a children's hospital so you know rightfully so they have to secure it they have to you know see who's going in and out and different things like that and And we had to go through so much to get up to there and i'm like this isn't an easy process it's not an easy process but I began to appreciate it the longer we were there. Yeah. The the security measures they take because people crazy people are crazy. Right. Right. In any environment. Right. Um and I know the word crazy can be oftentimes dismissive, but there's still psychopaths out there. Yeah. And so it's really good that um because I mean psychopaths are parents. You know yeah. what I mean? And they mm-hmm. can they can have a breakdown, a snap any anybody can snap at any point when something's too much and they can decide to go wild start shooting up the place whatever so exactly um of course this hospital's world renowned um they have people who f- flew they were telling me as far as like they would come from uh, Bahrain Abu Dhabi 
um, in that area, uh, you know, really rich people would come here for the care that their children needed. Definitely. Um, there was specialists for everything. Like there was so much specialized um, physicianship in this hospital. So after getting over the inconvenience, I was pretty cool with the fact that, you know, we was moving over there. Yeah. So not only did they say that we're moving them, but it's like, we're about to do this right now. Mm-hmm. So um, they get them all packed up and everything with all his belongings hooked up to the machines taken off of the machines there to be on um, machines they can transport they allow me to ride in in the ambulance with him and everything and i'm i'm just kind of like on pins and needles because i'm like they're moving him what does this mean so we get to children's we get them settled in the children's and once we get settled in there it's kind of like okay now we have a new normal um, and there's so many other challenges that we have to go through. We have to, we're, we're focusing on him growing. We're focusing on him getting stronger, yep. meeting his goals in that area. Hoping his heart murmurs closing, hoping that, um, the brain bleed starts to get smaller. Right. And so they're giving us updates on all this stuff. And they, and then they're always coming to us saying if they see anything new, you know, any other challenges, but as he's getting bigger and we're, uh, we're seeing the strength that our son has. And I remember one time he he would always keep his hands up near his face. And this is it was kind of funny at the beginning because whenever they would swaddle him, they would kind of swallow him to keep him tight and close and make sure he doesn't pull on any things. But Jordan always knew how to get his hands out of that swaddle yep. and get him up near his he loved having his hands up above his head he's like houdini and so the nurses some of those nurses were like i'm like a uh the best swaddler that no one can get out of and your son always gets out of it like i don't understand and so he would always get his hands out but he would pull on his tubes and he was hooked up to oxygen he was hooked up to all these different machines and everything and they said that he would always pull on them and that was the main reason why they would have him swaddled. So one particular day he was in there, he pulled it out and his machine started going crazy. His heart rate, everything is like literally dropping. And like I said before, they kept his oxygen above 90. It went down to like 20 this particular day. And I'm trying to get the nurses in, you know, they, they come in, they got to pump them. They got to do CPR and all this stuff. And it was just like, oh my God. And my daughter was in the room. It really scared us to see this happen. But this was something that he would do mm-hmm. on a regular basis. We'll pull his oxygen out. Yep. So there were all these different challenges and all these different things that we were experiencing um, throughout the NICU stay. And we ended up being there for four months. Yep. And, and in the midst of this, still trying to make sure that our home life our children, our, you know, our marriage, like all of that type of stuff. Um, because you, you getting in the midst of this, you have to have some self care. Yes. It's, it's just, it's too easy to get wrapped up and caught up every day. Yes. Um, with every little bit of news. And one thing that I did when we were going through all this, through all the bad news, um, I would never accept the news. So I would tell the doctors, I hear what you're saying. That's what I would say. Um, I hear what you're saying. And then whenever they would leave the room, I would grab my wife's hands and I would begin to pray. Mm-hmm. Um, I would I would pray anti the bad news that they said. Like, you know, you're not about to just sit here and diagnose this way and that way. No, we're going to put some faith on this 
and we're going to believe it. But I know that I had to be strong for my wife. Like every time they came with bad news, you know, for her, it, it's, it was different. Like, you know what I'm saying? It was different for you mm-hmm. and the way that you were, were able to deal with it. I had to disassociate and step back and be able to say from a faith standpoint, nope. And I appreciate that that so much. I appreciate it so much because I think I know that me, I was vulnerable. Um, I was coming out of giving birth. There's so much that a woman goes through mentally, emotionally, and physically. And then the postpartum aspect. And in giving birth and everything. So there's there's so much that I was dealing with and I wasn't able to give attention to myself because I'm giving all this attention to my son. Um, trying, Rance was holding it down at home. He was still going to work, still getting our daughter to, um, our youngest daughter to dance. Our oldest daughter was in the band at school. You know, she had her activities. And she was also visiting her mother in Michigan. So like I had to take a break, drive up, get her, you know what I'm saying? From our meetup, meetup point. So there were so many, you know, little things, little nuanced things. Right. Because life, we still had to deal with life. I ended up going back to work. Um, at the beginning, I was going for a half a day because, of course, I was still getting well myself and every and all that. And then it goes to I'm going back full time. And so going to work, taking breaks to go to the hospital, I'm still pumping um, to breastfeed and everything in the midst of all of this. And I really appreciate Rance for just being strong. I appreciate him for holding it down in the family, in the house. I appreciate him for the strength that he exudes during this point because I had so many breakdowns myself. I just had yep. so many. Every time we got bad news, just seeing him there, not being able to bring him home, he um, he has to go a certain time. When it gets close to the point in time when he's able to go home, then he has to go a week without desatting. And with with able to breathing good on his own, not losing oxygen or anything like that, the machines can't go off at all. So when we're getting around to this point in about October, mm-hmm. then we had a lot of different setbacks. Yep. And so the setbacks were just causing me to just like, okay, I just want my baby home. I just want to get back to what would seem to be a normal life. And Rance just kept, you just kept your cool throughout this you kept your cool Mm -hmm. you kept your calm I I didn't see you break down I didn't see you lose it like I was and I just really appreciate the strength in you to help get us through to to keep me from jumping off the edge yeah because we was already on the boat so we couldn't have two people jumping off the edge of the boat (laughs) somebody had to grab somebody um and that was the position that I knew I had to play and that was the position that I knew our family needed and that was why I was just so thankful to have some sort of uh, faith. You know, I know that right now in the world, we're all smart. We're all brilliant. We all know more than God. We all know that, you know, so many of us believe there is no God, that everything's a myth, that all, you know, there's all these trains of thoughts, of hate on religion and whatever the case may be. And if whatever you believe, fine, whatever you believe. But one thing I do know is that, um, you know, I called on on the name of the Lord quite a bit, praying and, you know, staying faithful to everything that I had to do so that um, we could get through this. And so, you know, you can knock whatever you want to knock. You can say whatever you want to say. You know, I don't really be preaching at folks on our podcast, but, you know, I am a Christian. Um I believe in Yahashua Hamashiach, man. And I'll tell you what, uh, without 
that faith, you know, all of this could have fell apart. Mm-hmm. All of this could have fell apart. So, um, yeah, man, I just had to gangster up. That's what it was about. It was about it was about gangstering up, <laughs> believing, not giving up. You don't went from Jesus to gangster. No, but I'm <laughs> but I'm saying we we need more. We we need more uh, people who who can who can do both. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like you got to be able to do both. Sometimes you got to be able to stay ten toes down. And and hold it down for your family like yeah. you need, know you need to. Yeah. And that's what I thank God I was able to do. I don't take any credit for it, you know, because I could have easily been in the opposite direction mentally. Right, right. So, yeah, that's that's where we are. So at this point of the story, Jordan gets to come home. Yes, yes. He gets to come home. He gets to come home and we are excited we are happy that he is there and we're settling into that new normal of having him home. He did come home on oxygen. He did come home on a machine. Yep. Um, so we are dealing with that and still having to monitor him and see how long. And that was scary. Like the idea of him coming home was scary. Yes, it was because we didn't know like, okay, at the hospitals, if his, his machine goes off, they come in, they check, you know, they're able, but what happens when he comes home, if this happens, you know, how do we deal with it? If it's more, if we can't get his oxygen to come back up. So it it was just, it was stressful, but we made it through. We made it through. And then one interesting thing that happened. So I got tired of, they had this thing, these little things you had to put on the side of his face to hold his oxygen in. And um, Jordan would, he would pull these off. He would just, you know, always pull them off. There was no keeping them on. So his oxygen was always falling out. And there was one point where I gotten tired of contending with it. So I said, let me see how he does without some oxygen. Mm-hmm. One thing about folks, if you ever go through this, if you're ever in the hospital, um, if you're ever in a situation with your children, it becomes to the point where you have all these experts around. Yes. You have experts around you that you begin to take their word for gospel. Right. And when you begin to take their word for gospel, all these experts, you will find yourself just feeling like you have no instincts as a parent. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting here like that's what I've been fighting. This whole thing was using my instincts on certain instances, fighting back with doctors, telling them, you know, they need to do this instead of like, you're, you're the expert. Sure. But we need to try something different. So I decided to, so when Jordan was on this oxygen, he was very still. He wasn't, you know, you know, he was a a little active and stuff like that. Wouldn't smile very much. But when I kept him off the oxygen and I noticed his, his heart rate, nothing was going down. He began to smile more Mm -hmm. and he began to act more, normal as what we're used to for how babies would act right and i was like oh snap like he's he's so smart that he knows like this is i'm not even supposed to really be on this oxygen mm-hmm. he was waiting for me to come on with <laughs> and so it's just those little things that you learn to appreciate about your babies man that babies are smart they're they're intuitive too yeah and then the other thing too because i'm glad that you brought that up and just to help anyone who may even be in this current situation right now is that even though they're doctors and they know and they deal with all these different situations they are looking at the science behind everything yeah but the truth of the matter is you are your parents your child's parent and you know your child better than anybody even in these situations you know your child better than anybody. And Rance and I came to that understanding of 
We know what's best for our son. We know him, even though he's here at the NICU, in the NICU with the nurses and everything. He didn't have the same nurse consistently. Nope. Hardly at all. So it's like all of them had to be updated with who Jordan is, you know, his information and everything like that. And so it's a matter of even in these situations, you have to take matters into your own hands and say, no, this is not going to happen. We're not going to do this because yet and still you're still in control. You may feel like you're not in control because you feel like the doctors are the experts. They spent millions, all this money and all these years of school to learn and understand the body and this, that and the other. However, you know your child. And there, and that was proven to us in so many different ways. We have told the doctors, no, we're not going to do this test. No, we're not going to go that route. No, we're not going to do this because they're looking at the science. They're looking at the fact that he was born at one ounce, one pound, four ounces. He was born a preemie with blood on the back of his brain, holes in his heart, different things like that. They're looking at the science, but they weren't looking at the God that we serve because we knew that, okay, even though you see this, this is not going to be his reality. But it's all. it was also important for us to speak those things. Yeah, we had to speak life into him. My mother was there speaking life into him. My, you know, my mother-in-law, father-in-law was in there speaking. You know, our, our brothers, everybody was showing him love. Um, and I know all babies don't get that. And so that's why sometimes you just got to pray for the babies. Mm-hmm. You know, pray for the babies who don't, you know, because we've seen it, man. We've seen the addicted mothers who come in into the NICU and they just can't take it. They can't deal with what they're seeing. Right. And we've seen all of that. And so, you know, those are some things that you just have to to realize in the midst of. And those were reminders that I got. I was like, yo, it's people with zero faith and all they see is what's in front of them yes. and it's jacking them up. Like there's people who they got to go get a, 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 a shot or a couple shots or they're going to do some, some meth or some cocaine. We've seen all of those. I, you know, I remember smelling the, the, the drugs on certain parents when they would come through and it's just like, man, mm-hmm. like even still, this is the, what the baby is dealing with. I remember there being one baby, in the hospital with Jordan that, you know, nobody ever came. She was a little white baby, man. And she had a super flat head on the back. Mm-hmm. Um, the nurses would do all that they could, but, you know, you could just tell that the parents weren't coming. So, you know, it's just, it's, it's something that even in the midst of everything that we were going through, we were finding ourselves encouraging other parents. Right. And, and being a beacon of hope to other people while we're in the midst of our storm. Yes. And Jordan was so blessed and they liked him so much that, you know, and they liked us so much that they wanted to put us in the commercial. They did a little documentary on us. Um, and, you know, Jordan was this standout because of his spirit. Um, so, man, God was so good even in the midst of all the, the turmoil. Yes, he was. And they're still running our commercial to this day. Like, it's right. coming on. Just just yesterday, someone told me, they said, I saw you on TV. I was like, you, no, you didn't. <laughs> right, we was tripping. Right, and I'm like, what did you say? They said the story of you, and I was like, oh my gosh, it's four years later, and they're still playing that that commercial. Yeah. But it's still touching people, and it's still, it's, it's tremendous because... You know, we are humbled and we're blessed that we were not only able to deal with this situation and come out on top, but we saw the hand of God on our son's life Mm -hmm. and how blessing that, how much of a blessing. And even the relationship that we had with some of the nurses and the doctors, it was, it was very, it was a very touching relationship because they saw our faith. Yep. They saw the faith that we had. They saw how... And they would acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. They would. They acknowledged that because... They, well, I would say the faith Rance had because... 
I know we're a unit and we come together as one, but I was holding on by mere strings and Rance Rance was just mm-hmm. he just he just put me in his pocket. Like, yeah, and there was one point where I was just like, you know, you need to disconnect a little bit. We went out, did a little photo shoot, just took some pictures. Yeah. Um and stuff like that, just so that you could just get a moment to, you know, feel again and to feel like everything was gonna be all right. So there's just things you have to do, like in marriage in general. You know, it's when you're in the midst of a storm, you can either turn on each other and you both can try to try to steer the boat in opposite directions or you can work together. And I think that that's one thing that we were able to do was stick together on this. And I knew I had to hold it down. So that means, you know, not getting upset when you were getting extremely emotional about, you know, what you were hearing and stuff like that. It's like, all right, cool. You be emotional. I'm going to hold I'm going to hold this down. And then. You know, I'll do the 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 talk, and I'll even do the thinking. Like, if you can't think through it because it's just too much, let me do the thinking. Um, and that is no downplay to anybody. And sometimes in in a marriage, when you're going through some crazy things, you just have to know your roles and and accept your roles. And so I had to accept that you couldn't be strong in this like you wanted to, mm-hmm. and I could, and I had to do it. And that even went on down to, you know, me taking, like I said earlier in the podcast, 12 weeks off so that I could be home. You know, I wanted to make sure that you knew that you were supported. I knew you only got six weeks um, off uh, to be home with him from your job. And I'm like, no, we're going to because of it being the wintertime, the possibility of him getting the flu, the possibility of him um, needing to be rehospitalized if he got sick by anyone. So we've been quarantined like quarantining during COVID ain't nothing because we was already quarantined like we done the quarantine yes, before we, have. we, we had kept to, him home and that's what they called it like we were quarantined at home with Jordan so we done quarantine before there was quarantine and so that's why we're not even tripping on COVID-19 because we did that so I was staying in the house with him every day all day to the point where like I wouldn't even share him with Giovanna like she would have to can I have my son bro <laughs> right you know like, I'm waking up with him all day because <laughs> she's going to work so I'm waking up with him in the middle of the night I felt like all I was was the the milk source yeah like you pump <laughs> I'll do everything else and so I was we were blessed to be in that position because everybody doesn't have that but you know those are the things we begin to see um and we begin to see how remarkable God is in his health um obviously the brain bleed stuff kind of went away. One thing that we were tired of was feeling like um, Jordan's this guinea pig that they wanted to run all these tests on at the hospital, mm-hmm. these voluntary tests, but you don't get no money. You don't get anything, but you know, they get their research. And, you know, while we were letting him do some of the tests, we started to look at some of the things. And it's just like, he is not, you know, a Tuskegee experiment. Right. So exactly. we're, we're not about to do that. And so I had to make a lot of um, those decisions and, and, once again, stay 10 toes down with these doctors and be like, no, we're not doing this. He's not doing this test. He don't need this test um, because they're very convincing in the way they try to sell you. Right. And in the te- in the, the testing and the the everything that the that they put on him, it didn't just stop once he came home from the NICU either right. because he still had to go to a lot of doctor's appointments. Yep. 
to see he had eye appointments because they wanted to make sure that he didn't end up blind and different things like that. And so we still had to contend there with was still traumas with, in the hospital. Right. Yeah. We still had to contend with them doctors saying different things about the possibilities of him having this and him having that. And so I just want to go back to what you were saying as far as the marriage in the relationship and how a lot of times, especially we as black women, we're used to being strong. We're used to not, you know, letting, not showing our emotions and not breaking down. And we have the stigma of the strong black woman on us. Mm -hmm. And so I am just appreciative because in so many ways, I'm used to being the one who holds it together. The one who, you know, okay, let's figure this out. Let's, you know, stay level headed and not to say that you're not, but just, you know, I'm used to, like, being... We always work together. Right, working together. And in this situation, my emotions got the best of me because it's different as a mother. You can you can have it all together. You can take a lot. But when it comes to your children, when it comes to your husband, that's when it's like, I'm about to lose my mind. Mm -hmm. And so, for me, those are the most important, aside from my parents and my brother, it's like... When it comes to my babies, it's a whole nother story. And me not being able to do what I could for my son and see my son in the in the position, it took such a toll on me. And I'm just, I knew that because I had such a strong partner that I was able to be my weakest. And that's yep. what a marriage is. A marriage is when you can't be strong, the other person being able to step up and be strong. And mm -hmm. so in, in certain situations, you know, Rance could be the one that's the strong one. In certain situations, it's me that's being the one that's carrying us. But being in a marriage, you got to know when to give a little, when to take a little, mm -hmm. when to, you know, when to to hold each other up and when to like be the one that needs to be held it's yep. very important Absolutely. and it's okay because it's going to change different situations different life um experiences it's going to change from one hand to the next yep. but it's important that you can be that rock for each other Yes, absolutely. So we could go on and on about the Jordan story but you know I think we're going to end it there. Yes. So, yes. This is a longer episode than normal but man we just wanted to tell everybody have faith yeah. Have faith and um, lock in, lock in and be together. So basically, we're going to end season two on this episode of the Underwars Woodable podcast. So thank you for rocking with us. We hope that you guys not just enjoyed, um, enjoyed it because there is a lot that's like, wow, a lot of goodness that came from it. But also, we hope that this helped and touched you as well. Yes. So keep the faith. Keep fighting for each other. Don't give up. And don't stop listening to our podcast. Right. That last part. <laughs> and, and, and tell some people about it, man. Help us grow. Uh, we appreciate everyone who listens now, man. Send a link out. Send a text. Have a listening party. Whatever you got to do. But we are thankful for you. And uh, we will see y'all in season three. Appreciate it. Peace. Deuces.